Welcome to the podcast of the River Anglican Church in Blacksburg, Virginia. Today, Pastor Jonathan Tagg talks about a really important person in our spiritual life, the Holy Spirit. So here's Jonathan. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you, even though we do have some challenges. Um, My prayer with Scott when we were in the back room was that our sound issues would have no bearing upon this service and your ability to hear the Lord and to respond to the Lord. Amen. Okay, that's really my prayer is that, you know, this stuff is really minor. (laughs) You know, um, if we're eager, if we're desiring to hear from the Lord, you're going to hear from the Lord because he's always faithful. So I'm really, let's just pray uh, about that, that 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 won't be a distraction. Lord, we just thank you for this morning and Man, just the privilege of being able to be with you in worship. Just the fact that that we can say our God is a mighty God this morning, and he's mighty to save, and he's powerful. I mean, just the fact that we can utter those words from our lips, and that we have the privilege of singing uh, in public, in a safe place. I mean, these are all amazing things. God, would you Help us to be thankful. Would you help us to be eager this morning to hear from you? Uh, We need that. We are prone to wander, God. So would you focus us and would you make us like sponges, like good soil, Lord Jesus, to hear and to receive and to take action upon your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So my name is Jonathan Tagg. I believe I know most of you this morning and it is wonderful to be back. I got a, a good break of a month where I was able to relax and to do some vacationing. And uh, my son got married, for some of those who don't know, and that was really exciting, uh, to a very, very wonderful woman who we're super thankful for. And so there was a lot that happened in this last month. I got to take a class at Trinity uh, um, on the book of Hebrews. Uh, so, yeah, so, um, and... Oh yeah, so uh, I was. We are in a series on the book of First John, but I, I really felt that I wanted to preach on the on, on the Holy Spirit because I was not able to be here for Pentecost, which was a couple weeks ago. And preaching on the topic of the Holy Spirit is one of my absolutely favorite topics. Uh, so I was sorry to miss that time with you. So that's who I am talking about this morning. I want to quote um, 19th century pastor theologian R. A. Torrey, and he says this. If we think of the Holy Spirit only as an impersonal power or influence, then our thought will constantly be, how can I get a hold of and use the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way, as a divine person, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely tender, then our thought will constantly be, how can the Holy Spirit get a hold of and use me? Man, that is what I really want for us not to be thinking of the Holy Spirit as a commodity. You know, how can I, uh, how can I get a hold? How can I get a hold of and use the Holy Spirit? But Lord, how can the Holy Spirit get a hold of me? Boy, that is far more confrontational. And so, in Pentecost, uh, we remember the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the the fifty days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came upon the early church. And what I want to do this morning is I have four basic points. The first one is I just want to give an overview. Are you guys with We Are we together? Okay. Okay, great. Okay, great. Very powerful um, response. Um, I, I, want to, uh, I want to 
provide an overview. I know some of you hate when I do that, and I'm really sorry. I can feel some of the ire coming. That's okay. That's okay. It keeps it spicy, but I am sorry. I just like to know that you're with me. Provide an overview of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament history. Second, I want to discuss what happened at Pentecost. Third, I want to explore the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look in the Gospel of John. And finally, we're going to talk about application. How does this apply to us? So first, I just want to remind us that in the Old Testament, one of the first things we read in the, in the not the gospel, but the letter of Genesis, the, the book of Genesis, is that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was there at creation itself, watching miraculously the creative, sovereign work of God the Father and God the Son speaking into existence the world as we have today, matter, energy, you know, stars and planets and solar systems, and the Holy Spirit is just hovering over the waters. Then we read in, in Genesis 2 that this amazing event happened. After all creation is done, and you have plants and animals and flora and fauna and all this beautiful stuff, God himself does what? He breathes into man and woman the breath of life. He does that for no other cre aspect of creation. But man and woman, he breathes. And that word in Hebrew and Greek means wind, uh, breath, and spirit. And so the, the first man and woman were filled with the very life of God himself, the spirit of God. So then we read ahead and we see that the Holy Spirit came upon Judges and prophets and kings and warriors. And we call this in theology kind of, uh, you know, uh, colloquially, we call, you know, Holy Spirit like a tornado. Like he comes down and then he lifts and he comes down and he lifts. It's like, who is this Holy Spirit? You know, comes on Samson, gives him incredible strength. And you're like, what? You know, and so the Holy Spirit is very mysterious in the Old Testament. Just like the sun, he's kind of veiled and hidden. But that was not going to be the case forever. Because as the prophets emerge, the clarity about the Holy Spirit uh, emerges as well. In Isaiah 44.3, for example, I'll read two scriptures. In Isaiah, he says, For I will pour water. God says, I'll pour water on the thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Ezekiel 11 I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Now, there are a number of verses in the Old Testament that point to that there's going to be something new that's going to happen. And this is what we know of as Pentecost. And so let's just talk about Pentecost. What happened there? So if you were a Jew in Jesus' day, there would you would and a Messianic Jew, a Jew who had come to follow Christ, you would see that there was not just a coincidence to the overlaying between the feasts of Israel and what happened in Israel's history and how they were celebrating the various moments of Hebrew life and the events of, uh, of Jesus. So, for example, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ falls on what festival or what feast? Passover, okay? So remember Passover when the Jews uh, sacrificed a lamb the night before they were emancipated from Israel? They, you know, they sacrificed a lamb and it had to be a certain type of lamb and they put the blood on the doorpost of their house and the angel of death passed over, okay? So that's Passover. That's, that occurred on the life and death or on the, on the, the, 
uh, weekend of the death of, of Christ, the passion of Christ. And so that was no coincidence. Well, 50 days later in Jewish history, after Passover was the Feast of Harvest. That was a feast and a festival where every Jew would come out and celebrate that God's provision for Israel, that he had provided for his people grain and harvest and food. And it was a great, exciting festival and feast. Well, what happens on the Feast of Harvest? Pentecost. Pentecost falls 50 days after Passover. And it was not to be physical food that they were celebrating, but it was going to be spiritual food, the food for the soul, the food for heart, the food for the mind. It was to be the, the, the God himself providing himself in man and woman, which was and is amazing, God himself. And so this is what is foretold, and this is what happened. So if you wouldn't mind, look at with me at Acts chapter 2 if you want to. And we're going to look at, and we're going to make three observations about Acts chapter 2. And we're going to come back to these when we apply the scriptures, okay? So I want you to flag each of these because we're going to make the observation, but then we're going to make the application in our closing. And the first observation is this. In verse 3 of Acts chapter 2, it says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, okay, they were together, and then they separated, and they came to rest on each of them. And so I just want to make the observation is that the Spirit came as a unified column of fire, okay? But then the, the unified column of fire um, dispersed and rested on each person. The Spirit was for each person present, and that's very important. Here's my second observation, verse 4. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit observation is this, that there was a noticeable impact in the person's life when the Holy Spirit came. There was a palpable, physical, noticeable, whateverable, you know, impact on a person's life with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then the third observation is this, verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11, he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. And he said this, fellow Jews and all of you who Listen, live in Jerusalem. Let's worship the gifts and let's worship, you know, the Holy Spirit and, and let's put wheelchairs on the wall. No, he didn't say that, right? He said, let me explain this to you and listen carefully. And what did he do? Peter explained the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So it wasn't, his speech was not about the Holy Spirit and about, you know, all these gifts. They were what we call Simeon. They were signs that point to something else. And so Peter used this miraculous event as an opportunity to explain the gospel, not to focus on the disciples, not to focus on the gifts, but on the gospel. So please keep those three in mind. And uh, what we're going to do thirdly is just talk about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, which I love to do because I love the Holy Spirit. I hope you love the Holy Spirit. And so we want to Look at who he is and what he does. So if you don't mind, turn to John 14 if you would like to. If you don't, just listen. <clears throat> but there's some cool stuff here. Verse 15 says this, John 14, 15. says, if you love me, keep my commands. 
and notice the connection, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Okay, that's the first. I have four. Second one is John 14, 23. So just go ahead. Uh, If my math is correct, that's something like eight verses, I think. Um, It's complicated math. But Jesus said this in verse 14, 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Okay, notice the connection between the first passage we read, commands, teaching. And my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So the connection between obeying the teaching and the inhabitation of the Holy Spirit. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Teacher, reminder, okay? The third uh, verse is in John 15, 26. And he says this, John 15, 26, when the advocate comes, the parakletos, the one who comes alongside, the helper, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, again, who goes out from the Father, because there is truth and there is error, there is falsehood and there's, you know, uh, truth. He said, he will testify about me. Now, what is a testimony? A testimony is someone who confirms the word of another. The Holy Spirit confirms the word and the work of the Father and the Son. He is like the person who stands up and says in court, what this person is saying is true or what this person did is true. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. He testifies, uh, he advocates, he confirms the the word and the work of the Father and the Son. Then the third passage is John 16, 7. I'm going to cough here, pardon me. In John 16, 7. but very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Then he goes on to explain about sin, about righteousness, about judgment. Verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will prepare us. He will assist us in a sense of what God is doing. We can know what God is doing in our lives and how the Spirit, how God the Father and the Son is moving because the Spirit is going to give us insight into the work of God in our life. Isn't that amazing? He'll show us what is yet to come. So let me just make a few summary comments about the Holy Spirit. Um, The Spirit is a person. He's called the Holy Spirit, which means that he's unique. Holy means distinct or set apart. So it's not the spirit of the age. It's not the, the spirit of the earth. It's not like, Uh, the spirit of the world, which Paul talks about. It's the Holy Spirit who is a person. And in theology, there are three aspects of personhood. You and I have three aspects of being people. Uh, We don't always employ these, but but we should. 
the first is volition, which is choice. We always employ that. The second is intelligence. We don't always employ that. That's a joke. But then um, the third is emotion. So we're, we have volition, we have choice, we have intelligence, and at times, and we have emotion. And the Holy Spirit has all three aspects, just like the Father has volition and intelligence and emotion. The Son has these three. So the Spirit does. John, uh, John's gospel, uh, Jesus says this pretty clearly when he's talking to Nicodemus. Do you remember the conversation? He says the Spirit comes and goes at will. He blows here and there. He does, you know, he kind of moves and he comes uh, and he decides what, where to go and when. And, and he acts, wills, and accomplishes. But we're told in the Gospel of John, he does the bidding of the Father and the Son. He doesn't just move on his own. The Holy Spirit is not rogue. <laughs> you know, he's not rampant. He's not God and Father and Son. Are like, man, we got to reel that guy in. You know what I mean? He is, uh, does the bidding of the Father and the Son. But secondly, in terms of volition, he also has intelligence. He's creative. He's smart. He's intuitive. Just as Jesus is smart and the Father is smart, so the Spirit is intelligent and wise. So he's co-equal in power to the Father and the Son, okay? We say this in the creeds. We, we learned about it months, over a month ago in the Athanasian Creed that, uh, that Chris Meckley quoted. But he's different in function. Third and finally, he has emotions. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God can be pleased can be happy, can be joyful. He can be made joyful, but he also can be grieved. He can be crushed. He can be saddened. He can be uh, quenched is one of the biblical words, which is like the word when you take a water and you just pour it over a fire. The Holy Spirit can be quenched by who we are and what we do and our attitudes or our apathy or whatever it is. And so I want to give you five main functions of the Spirit until we, uh, before going into our application. So the first is the Spirit is a teacher. And again, this is just a kind of a summary of what we see. First, he's a teacher. We see that again and again in John, and that's why I wanted to emphasize it. He's the Spirit of truth. He comes to remind us of what Jesus said, comes to encourage us and counsel us. He tells us what is yet to come. He prepares us for the work of God. And second, he's the sanctifier. He sets us apart. We read it again in, the, in John. He convicts us. He, he tells us what is wrong about what we do or how we're thinking or behaving. Uh, he prepares us for repentance and to make right choices. Third, he's the equipper. I love this aspect of the Holy Spirit. He gets us, the word in Ephesians is like he gets us ready to sail. We're like a ship, and he's the one who, who gets us ready to, uh, to embark on our voyage in the world. I would remind you of Acts 1.8, where uh, Luke's, Luke cites um, Jesus' words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you and I have been given power through the Spirit of God equipping us for love equipping us for joy and peace and patient kindness with the fruits of the Spirit, giving us gifts of the Spirit, insight, natural gifts, phenomenal gifts, gifts of miraculous gifts of healing, and giving us some of the gifts that look more natural, leadership and administration. And so many of you have been given so many gifts, gifts of music, which you saw very little of up there, but you'll see more of when Ross is able to return uh, to, to be with us. 
He sets us apart for ministry. It was the spirit in Acts that set apart Saul and Barnabas. And so he sets you and he sets me for, for ministry. Fourth, he's the healer. Um, he continues the transforming work of Jesus. So just as Jesus was healing and touching and casting out the demonic, the Holy Spirit is still at work in you and me, healing, touching, taking authority over evil. Okay? And this is holistic healing. It's not just physical. It's emotional. It's social. It's even sexual, where the woman at the well had five husbands, and, and she encountered the, the, the risen or, yeah, the, he wasn't risen at that point. But anyway, he encountered Christ. Uh, and so we can experience healing of all kinds of problems and addictions and infatuations. Fifth and finally, he's the glorifier. And I know I'm giving you a lot of information. I'll um, change, uh, change up and tell you a story in a minute. But he's the glorifier. In Acts 1.8, again, he says, oh, we'll receive power. But then what does he say? You will be my what? will receive power. Help me out here. You will witnesses. That's the word martyrs in Greek. We will be martyrs for Christ. In other words, it's not just testifying with our mouth. It's testifying with our lives. It's laying everything down. You will be my martyrs, he said. And so the Holy Spirit seeks to glorify the Father and the Son, to lay his life down for the Father and Son. And he enables you and he enables me to lay our life down for the Father in the sun. So let me, um, let me close with this application. Um, <clears throat> that Remember that we made those three insights in Acts chapter 2. So in terms of application, first off, what began as a unified column of fire separated and was distinct for each and every person. And this is my time to just tell you that the Holy Spirit, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have laid your life as a martyr ace down for Christ, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift. We know that in Ephesians 4, at least one. It says that he apportions, he apportions out the gifts to each person. Jesus, when he ascended, boom, 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 boom. And so you, you don't need a secondary experience of the Holy Spirit. You have been given all of the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have encount, need encounters and experiences with the Holy Spirit. Do you understand the difference? You have been given all of the Holy Spirit, but there are still moments of powerful moments that we can have with the Lord. Now, I have been having, I, had, I have had multiple moments in my life. One I talk about a lot is, was in Bath, Ohio. Has anybody been to Bath, Ohio? Okay. Um, whoa, crazy. Okay. So there's a church called St. Luke's in Bath, Ohio, and I went to this service and a a woman prayed for me and the Holy Spirit just completely, completely demolished me in a good way. And the reason I know this wasn't just a great experience, that I came away saying, oh, I had this great experience with the Spirit and it was so wonderful. And, you know, and like nothing changed was that the next day and the day after and the day after, like I experienced a new sense of self-worth in Christ that I had never experienced. I could feel people's hands on my back when they hugged me because I went to a very huggy seminary. You know, it was kind of Anglican. But anyway, it would have been different if it was something else. But it was, I was just a joke. Okay, you got to work with, I'm trying. You got to work with me here. But anyway, so I went to Trinity. You know, some of other folks here have gone to Trinity. So, but I could feel people's hands on my back for the first time. There was a self-acceptance that I had for myself. That's how I knew this just wasn't an experience. Now, I will tell you in the last three years, 
ground has been fallow here. It's been a hard COVID. And one way that I experience the Holy Spirit, and I don't know if you do, but is perseverance. That I'm still a Christian. <laughs> I'm still following Jesus amidst all the challenges that we've gone through. Now, I'm still seeking the Lord. I'm still seeking to love my wife and my children and my church amidst all of the dings and hurts of ministry. Amen? So there is the Holy Spirit works, and it's not always in this ma you know, massive, sometimes it's just like the day-to-day -day that I wake up and I say, I want to spend time with Jesus in the morning. That is a work of the Spirit, okay? Um, he's also given me like a patience and a desire to use suffering for his glory. That's another work of the Spirit. And I just tell you, like, the Holy Spirit doesn't always come like a hammer, doesn't always come like fire, doesn't always come even like water. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just comes like air on stone. You know what I mean? And he just kind of gradually smooths us like air on stone. So I, I want to say that, you know, that you have been given the Holy Spirit in its entirety. Now, one question I hear is like, should we be afraid of, and I am wrapping up here because I know I'm getting long. Should we be afraid of the Holy Spirit? And the, absolutely, no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be afraid of the Spirit because are you like afraid of Jesus? Like, ooh, I don't know. You know, we shouldn't be afraid of Jesus because it says he will not break a bruised reed, right? But should we be afraid of the Spirit? No, he is a gentleman. He will never force himself upon us. We will never force the Holy Spirit upon you. We'll never put our hands on your foreheads and knock you down, okay? Like, that is not how the Spirit works, and that's not how we work. Now, are we to worship the Spirit? Yes and no. The Spirit is part of the Godhead, so do we worship Jesus and the Father? Yes, we worship the Spirit. Now, the difference here is that the Holy Spirit always seeks to draw attention away from himself. So he's always drawing attention to the Father and the Son. So is it wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit? No, but the Holy Spirit will always be leading us to the Father and the Son. I leave praying to the Spirit up to people's preference. Some prefer it and some don't. I don't read anything in the Bible that says, don't pray to the Spirit or you'll go to hell. You know what I mean? So I, I wouldn't worry about that. It's just personal preference. Is the river a charismatic church? Well, it depends on how you define charismatic. Um, if What do you mean by that is like, oh, are you untrustworthy and are you crazy and are you going to do things that you know, or unsafe or whatever. No, that's, that's not how we define charismatic. Do we long, like Paul said, long for the gifts of the Spirit? Absolutely. Do we long for the Spirit's presence and work in this church? Absolutely. In a non-COVID time during communion, as you remember, we have prayer stations set up. We do that every week to remind us, oh yeah, I need healing. I need help. I need to pray for my brother or my sister or somebody else. And so we, we have this expectancy, amen, during, an, you know, especially like that prayer time that we have during communion is a time where we make this statement and this symbol that we are a charismatic church and that we expect God to move, amen? We want God to move. So are we charismatic in that way? Absolutely. Um, the second point, I'm going to make these quick, is that in Acts chapter 2, there was a noticeable impact in a person's life of the Holy Spirit's presence. There was the speaking in tongues in that, in that example. And in your and my life, there should be a noticeable impact. Now, there are times in all of our lives, there's seasons that are fallow. And these three years, these couple years have been tough. But in general, we should see 
a movement of the Holy Spirit in our life over time. Sometimes it goes like this, but the trajectory should be upwards. What are some of those characteristics? Um, a longing for scripture, a longing to read God's word or to hear God's word or whatever, a longing for worship. Like I really appreciate that you guys are here because, you know, again, over the summer and people in and out and, you know, there's COVID around and all this kind of stuff and sickness. I really appreciate that you all are making this commitment to worship. There's a longing to be with God's people. There's a longing to be transformed by the Spirit. There is a longing to put sin to death in our life, that we're not just playing with it and toying with it, but there's a longing to put it to death. And I'll fast forward through my list and say there's a longing to witness. There's a longing for God to use me in this world, okay? That is a sign of the Spirit. And I don't say this to guilt you or to create fear, but if you don't see these at work in your life, you and I need to go and close the door and say, God, I need a new, I need a new experience with you. I need something new. If you don't see this working in your life, again, I don't see this. My heart is the heart of a pastor. I say this, that you would close the door and say, God, I need a new experience with you. And I tell you what, I have done that no less than like 15 times in the last three years. So I'm right there with you saying, God, I need you so bad in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my church. I need you. Third and final point as we close here, um, is that, see, this is what happens when I don't preach for a month, okay? In Acts chapter 2, Peter used this miraculous event to preach the gospel. And this is the point I want to make. A lot of churches make a big deal of the Spirit, and the, not just the gifts of the Spirit, but they make a big gifts of those people who have the spiritual gifts, right? You have spiritual gifts, of, ooh, those are extraordinary. But the people who have the gift of leadership and administration, oh, that's no big deal, right? So what we want to do is have a really balanced view of the Holy Spirit. All the gifts are essential. Some are extroverted and some are introverted. Some you will see on a regular basis and some you may never see in the way that we expect them to see. But the gospel is the focus of the gifts. They are simeon. They are signs that point to Jesus. The Spirit will lead you and me into a deeper relationship with Christ. And the question is, God, do I want that deeper relationship? Do I want to be to, for the, the wind to blow the dust out of this temple, or am I just going through the motions? That's something you have to answer to the Lord and the Holy Spirit yourself. I can't answer that question for you. But here's the, what Dwight Moody says. He says, I firmly believe, this is my ending quote, that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and self-seeking in everything that's contrary to God's law, the Holy Ghost will come and fill every corner of our hearts. But if we're full of pride and conceit and ambition and self-seeking and pleasure and the world, there's no room for the Spirit of God. And I believe many a man is praying to God to fill him when he's full already with something else. Would you please pray with me? Lord, we just submit this word to you. This word about your Holy Spirit. We remember afresh that we have a relationship with your Holy Spirit, just like with the Father and the Son. We ask for a new expectancy and openness to the work of the Spirit. God, we ask for a new 
anointing, a new awakening of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. But let that revival begin with me and these beloved people. Holy Spirit, come and shake the very pillars of our house. Holy Spirit, come and make new what is old, old religion, old patterns, old habits, old infatuations. God, we need you. Oh, how we need you. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please kneel as we go to uh, pray for our church, our leaders, our world, and so forth. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from the River Anglican Church. You can find us on the web at theriverinrv.org, also on Facebook, and you can join us in person if you like on Sunday mornings at 9.15 at 110 Roanoke Street East, Blacksburg, Virginia, 24060. We hope to see you again next week.